Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Make sure that you check out Walters' self-pour beer wool. Included on tap is Baby Shark IPA, Sunny Little Thing, Grapefruit Nectar, and more. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hayes has new life with 0-2. They set up in Corbin Peels. And this one is lofted to deep left field. Hernandez racing back on the go. It's over his head, and it is gone. It clears the big wall in left center field, and one pitch after the pop-up dropped. It's a home run for Austin Hayes, his 10th of the year. And the Orioles lead 2-0. Now to set the 1-1. Slider driven toward left center field. Long chase for Thomas. He's not going to get it. It's down and bouncing off the wall. Headed home is Nevin. Headed home is Mateo. And stopping at second, hitting for the cycle, is Austin Hayes. And they're going crazy here at Camden Yards, those remaining. As Austin Hayes clears the bases with a double, he's 4 for 4. He's hit for the cycle. And it's 5-0 Baltimore. And welcome to Nats Chat for Thursday, June 23rd, 2022. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi Podcast, joined by the mastermind, the brains of the Nats Chat Podcast operation, Tim Shovers, uh, our friend Mark Zuckerman, Nationals Insider for MassInSports.com. He is at Oriole Park at Camden Yards in Baltimore, and he is, he is buried by the rain, which came down quite a bit on Wednesday night in the Washington, D.C. area as you probably know. And we on Wednesday night had a mess of a game for the Nationals at the Orioles in game two of this two-game series. This two-game series that begins the Battle of the Beltways in 2022. The two teams will play another two-game series uh, in September. That series will be at Nationals Park. But on Wednesday night, we end up having a 7-0 Nats loss at the O's in a rain-shortened six-inning game. The game was going along. Uh, We knew that rain was a possibility. Rain, in fact, ended up happening. We had a rain delay of about 45 minutes in the fifth inning. The game, somewhat surprisingly, was resumed, despite rain very much being in the forecast. We then, after six innings, had another rain delay, and the game ultimately, mercifully, got called right around, I don't know, 11.25, 11.30, something like that. Time of game, two hours, 32 minutes. Time of rain delays, one hour, 46 minutes. Tim, you were at Oriole Park at Camden Yards for a chunk of the evening. Uh, <laughs> this this was not a banner evening at the Yards. 
No, I, I do have to say I'm going to pat myself on the back. You just all things considered, I rolled out early in about the third inning, and I didn't hit any rain until for this is going to be hyper local here until I hit about the Silver Spring exits on the Beltway, and I live in Rockville, so I had just about ten minutes of discomfort. I always try and go at least once or twice a year to Camden Yards. It's one of my favorite ballparks. This is a forgettable game, but Austin Hayes did cycle, so it will go down in the record book. He did do that. He did do that. Now, this is Nat's chat, not Orioles chat. If this was Orioles chat, no doubt, the Austin Hayes story uh, would be the story of this installment of the podcast. That was some performance by Austin Hayes. I mean, not just hitting for the cycle, right, but doing so in a range-shortened six-inning game. Four at-bats, gets the four hits needed for the cycle. Also has an outfield assist. Uh, Hayes in the top of the first throughout Juan Soto by quite a bit at third base. And Soto's attempt to advance two bases on a Josh Bell wood-out single to shallow right center field. But with what happened with the rain, so I know that it's always tricky, right? And there's only so much that you can predict and control and be aware of when it comes to weather. But rain was all over the forecast on Wednesday night. And what I can't get over is that during that initial rain delay, that the game wasn't just called. The game was official at that point. You know, these are two last place teams. Nats are last in the National League East. O's are last in the American League East. And each team is about to travel here. The Nationals, after this series at the Orioles, yes, do have an off day on Thursday, that's true, but then have a three-game series at the Texas Rangers Friday through Sunday. The O's are playing on Thursday night at the Chicago White Sox, game one of a four-game series. So I don't think either team would have been that upset had the game just been called uh, in that fifth inning, and then, you know, we all kind of move on with our lives. For whatever reason, the game uh, was maintained. That's not always the call of the home team. MLB plays a role in this, so I'm not quite sure who was where in terms of the decision-making. But this is not a hindsight take, Tim. I mean, the game should have been called after that initial rain delay or during that initial rain delay. I'm right there with you, and I'll add to it. The first rain delay at 9 o'clock, it happened, it seemed like serendipitous timing uh, in terms of getting a full game in because the top of the fifth had just been played. Okay, Orioles are up 3 nothing. We've played four and a half innings. As you mentioned, both teams are flying out. Off we go. Okay, they ended up resuming 45 minutes later. I'll accept that it's 9.45. But the second rain delay, Al, not only was it 7 to nothing, and clearly the field was in shape that they could not continue to play anymore. The second that tarp came out, we all knew where this was headed. If there's a good explanation that emerges from this, then I will apologize tomorrow. But it's this kind of stuff, Al, that the rigidity of baseball just bothers me so, so much. Listen, I started this podcast. I think you all know how much I love the sport. But sometimes it's so like, we got to get nine innings in. We got to play all 162. It's okay. It's okay to wrap this thing up after four and a half or six innings. It's fine. People who bought tickets saw two hours plus of baseball. As you mentioned, they got their money's worth at the ballpark. The game was played. It was seven to nothing. The Nats certainly don't need to fill another two, three innings with their bullpen. We all know that. And I don't know the Orioles bullpen well, but I'm guessing it's usually pretty gassed as well, given that they're a last place team. I don't know if it's like 1930s rigidity thinking that still is within the sport, but it's the kind of stuff that just makes me so mad where it's like, it's okay to just call this thing and move on. We got baseball the next day and the day after that and the day after that. Yeah, it is. It is bizarre. I mean, this was not, you know, game 162 between the Dodgers and the Giants for the National League pennant in October. Okay, this was Orioles Nationals in the middle of June. Two last place teams, like we said. You know, it's funny you mentioned the fans. I don't know how much people have been paying attention to this. The crowds for these two games in this series were not good. Okay, the crowd 
on Tuesday night, 15,197. And the crowd on Wednesday night was even worse. And yes, you know, the rain maybe had something to do with that. But your announced attendance for Camden Yards on Wednesday night, 12,000. 630. And uh, good luck finding 12,630 fans who were at that game on Wednesday night. And the thing is, if you were at the game, you got to see someone hit for the cycle, right? I mean, chances are, if you were at the game, you were an Orioles fan. The game was in Baltimore. You saw Austin Hayes hit for the cycle. You saw your team hit three home runs because Trey Mancini homered, Anthony Santander homered. So like, what are you going to complain about? You know what I mean? So, and again, this isn't a hindsight take, like during that first delay, after that first delay, certainly when you went into the second delay, just call the darn thing. And uh, ultimately, that's what ended up happening. So, you know, there's not a lot to sink your teeth into in terms of what happened for the Nats in this game. The Nats offensively did very little in the game. No runs, just three hits. Did work five walks, but uh, went 0 for 1 with runners in scoring position. I think the thing that stands out as much as anything, though, uh, is another bad outing for Patrick Corbin. Uh, Stop us if you have heard this conversation before, but Patrick Corbin on Wednesday night was bad. And here's the thing now. You know, it's easy to kind of lose track of this, lose sight of this. He's having a worse season this year than he had in either of the previous two years. And he now has been especially bad over his last two starts. Patrick Corbin on Wednesday night failed to last for more than four innings for a second consecutive start. His most recent outing came in that 10-1 loss to the Philadelphia Phillies at Nationals Park last Thursday night, June 16th. Nine runs, two earned in three and a third innings. Here he was on Wednesday night at the Orioles, and Corbin in this game, three runs in four innings. Uh, Now, it's kind of an odd deal with Corbin in this game. Gave up seven hits, two homers, a triple, two doubles, and two singles. He did have six strikeouts versus one walk, which is an odd strikeout-to-walk ratio for a guy who only lasts for four innings. And he did throw a lot of strikes, 83 pitches, 63 strikes versus just 20 balls. But, you know, here you had the Nats with this nice little run of recent starting pitching, Josiah Gray, Jackson Tatro, Eric Fetty. The run comes to a grinding hold. Corbin is the culprit. And he ends up not even giving you more than four innings in this game on Wednesday night. Al, I'm pinch hitting for Mark tonight. So I'm going to give you a Corbin take that I've had uh, locked and loaded for a while during this past year and a half that has been Patrick Corbin. Can the Nats just please make up the fact that he has a blister, whether he has one or not, and just skip a start? Just skip one turn in the rotation because the one thing that Corbin does do is he shows up every fifth day. Well, we've seen the results. Let's try something different. Skip one start in the rotation. And for those who say, who would you start instead because there aren't any great options, my answer is his initials are S-E. Do you know what those stand for, Al? No. Who is that? Is that a hot young prospect? Is there some guy stashed away in the minors who we're not aware of in the Nats farm system with the initials SE who you have uncovered here you're almost there it's someone else just someone else just whoever call him up from Harrisburg call him up from Rochester I don't know have him throw four or five innings and then hand it off to Steve Ciszek in the sixth inning like it just drives me nuts that they keep doing the same exact thing. I'm not one of those people that say cut Corbin. Uh, I know sending him to the minors is not possible because of CBA ramifications. I'm not saying send him to the bullpen. Just skip one start. This whole season is about rebuilding, right? You have Patrick Corbin for multiple years after this. He is, whether you like it or not, an important part of the future of this franchise, at least for the next few years. So let's try and salvage him instead of doing the same exact thing. I used the word rigidity earlier, talking about canceling games. And it's this sort of stuff where I just don't get, Al, why there isn't any sort of change in thinking, why they just keep rolling him out there every five days. 
You know, it's funny when you hear Davey Martinez and Mike Rizzo talk about Patrick Corbin, they talk about him like he's a guy who is better than what his numbers would say. You know, I don't know if Davey and Mike talk like that because they genuinely believe that, you know, there's more here than we're seeing. Or, you know, if Davey and Mike just talk like that because they feel like, what what are we going to do? Just trash the guy publicly? Like, that wouldn't be the way to go. But it is remarkable what we're seeing here. Like, I think this kind of gets lost. He is appreciably worse this season than he was in either of the last two seasons. That is a jarring reality. Like, if I would have told you going into this season, by the time we're deep into the month of June, Patrick Corbin will have been appreciably worse this year than he was in either of the previous two years, you would have said, oh my God, what's going on here? And yet, here we are now. I mean, here here are the numbers, okay? Patrick Corbin in 2020, his first bad season, had an ERA of 466. Patrick Corbin last season, his second bad season, had an ERA of 582, which was the worst ERA among qualified pitchers in the majors. Patrick Corbin now, this season, over 15 starts, okay? I mean, a nice, healthy sample size, has an ERA of 660. His ERA for this season is nearly 0.8 worse than his ERA for last season, when again, he had the worst ERA among qualified pitchers in the majors. And there are other stats I could throw at you. I mean, the whip for this year is sky high, 179 off having been 147 last year. Understand, his 147 whip last year was the second worst whip among qualified pitchers in the majors. Here we are now this season. Like I said, the whip is at 179. The numbers are really bad. And it's not just that he's not getting better. It's that he's gotten worse. And it's also what you just said. There are no answers. And I think that that, more than anything, is what is so aggravating about this. He doesn't have answers. He says basically the same thing after every game. You know, I felt good. Like, you know, Mark's joked about that. And the Nats don't have answers. And I've always felt this way about this Corbin decline. Yeah, first and foremost, it makes him look bad. But it doesn't make the Nats look good that they can't figure this out. It doesn't make the Nats look good that they can't come up with anything or they haven't done anything to fix him. And I know it's not as simple as, hey, hey, snap your fingers and fix Patrick Corbin. And maybe he's unfixable. But the Nats don't ever seem to fix guys, pitchers especially. Position players maybe a little more. But it doesn't happen with pitchers. And it's not happening with Corbin. And he's gotten worse. And I think that is really one of those things. You talk about like a cold bucket of water as a Nats fan for this season. That's a big one. That Corbin is significantly worse this year than he was in either either of the previous two years. Luke Denbo, uh, an intern at the Nats Chat Podcast, just texted me this stat, Al, that now that Corbin has double-digit losses, that means that we are multiple weeks before the All-Star break, and the Nats have two starting pitchers who have double-digit losses so far, and Yoan Adone and Patrick Corbin. You know, I hadn't even looked at Corbin's one-loss record. You know me, I'm not big on that. But yeah, Corbin now is 3-10 and on the year, and in this case, I would say the 3-10 and accurately reflects the performance of the pitcher on the season. It's tough, man. It's really tough. And I don't know. I mean, this is, in terms of the contract, this is year four of a six-year, $140 million deal. I guess it's possible he just continues to pitch for the Nats until that contract is done. I don't know. I don't know how much more of this the Nats as an organization, the Nats fan base as a fan base can take, where it just feels borderline hopeless whenever he pitches. And I know that he's had a few decent starts, And occasionally, he'll do just enough to make you want to see more. But when you just take any kind of a step back and you look at where we are, I mean, again, 15 starts, ERA is 660. I mean, you want to say, like, what are we doing here? You know, (laughs) like, what exactly are we doing here? 
And you, after this season, have two more years with this contract. You know, I, I know that DFAing him right now is not going to happen. I do wonder if at some point he goes to the bullpen. I do wonder if slash when the Nats get new ownership, especially if it's one of these supreme Richie Rich types, if Corbin does get DFA'd. You know, if, it, if someone buys the Nats with, you know, Steve Cohen type money or what you would call bleep you money, you know, like absurd wealth. You know, seven, eight, nine, ten billion dollar wealth, that kind of a thing. Maybe that new ownership says, you know what, cut this guy and move on. I just I don't know that you can keep going through this every year, especially if he's getting worse. I mean, is he already next season? What's it gonna be? Seven, eight? Like where exactly do we go? How low do we go with the Patrick Corbin struggles? Again, I just say skip a start, see what happens, try something new. I mean, at this point, I don't know why you wouldn't try anything, you know? I mean, have him wear a clown suit for a day. I mean, try something to get this guy on track. Hey, guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. It feels like everything is going up these days, including home prices. And so there's no better time to have the look of your home go up and the value of your home go up with new windows from Window Nation. Get two free windows with every two windows that you buy, plus pay nothing for two full years. Take advantage of this offer. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. Window Nation windows are the best. The average Window Nation installer has over 16 years of experience with over 20,000 windows installed. Window Nation offers 1,500 custom window combinations, including vinyl, wood, and fiberglass. Window Nation is the best. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and make sure that you ask for the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi. Two free windows for every two windows that you buy, plus pay nothing for two full years. 866-90-NATION or windownation.com. That's 866-90-NATION or windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. Treat the whole family to a fun night of baseball with the Bethesda Big Train at Shirley Povich Field. Big Train Baseball is the perfect mix of small town charm and big league talent right here in Bethesda's Cabin John Regional Park. Visit bigtrain.org forward slash tickets to reserve your seats for tonight's game and all other home games throughout July. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. 
So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Here's a long drive deep left down the line toward the corner, and it is fair and a home run. Trey Mancini tucks one in around the foul pole for his seventh home run of the season. And four runs have crossed here in the bottom of the sixth inning against Ciszek, and it's now seven to nothing. That's bullpen on Wednesday night. So you had three relievers used in this game. Erasmo Ramirez, a perfect bottom of the fifth. Steve Ciszek, bottom of the sixth, gives up four runs, records just two outs. Uh, he gave up four hits issued a walk, including giving up a two-out, two-run double to Austin Hayes for a 5-0 Orioles lead that completed the cycle for Hayes. And then Ciszek gave up a two-out, two-run homer to Trey Mancini for a 7-0 Orioles lead. Uh, Davey Martinez had to bring in Andres Machado to end the bottom of the six. Machado faced one batter, got one out. It doesn't really matter because the Nats have the off day on Thursday. But the fact that you had to use two relievers just to complete the sixth inning, I mean, that's that's pretty bad. You know, Ciszek, Tim, we thought going into the season, that was a nice bullpen addition. I, I certainly looked at the Nats signing him as, okay, you know, low money, low risk contract makes sense. He's not been good. You know, he, he's the anti-Coral Edwards Jr. this year. The Nats this season have gotten a lot of production out of Coral Edwards Jr. on a minor league contract. And by the way, are to be commended for that. But Ciszek this season now, here are the numbers, 30 games, 29 and a third innings, ERA of 522, whip of 150. He has not been good. He has been a big disappointment, and we saw him struggle again on Wednesday night. Yeah, he has been very disappointing, and I do say this, though, Al. I don't know if you agree. Now, obviously, his stock is very low, but I still think someone will be interested in dealing for him August 2nd. He's still a major league pitcher, and as you know, relievers are so fickle. Now, what they'll get back for him, you know, at best, a single-A prospect, but are you with me that he is still a potential trade chip? Well, I think if he got on a roll, he would be. I don't know about the way he is right now because I just think there will be enough other relievers to where if you're a contending team, you're not going to trade for Steve Ciszek in his 5 ERA. But if he gets on a nice little run, I think that is possible. And I now apply to every potential trade chip the John Lester principle of never say never because no one ever thought that the Nats would trade John Lester last year with the way his season was going. And yet the Nats did and they obviously got back Lane Thomas. So you know what? You never say never, but Ciszek has to pitch better. I mean, the, the way he, he has been this season so far, I don't know why if you're a contender, you'd give up anything for Steve Ciszek. I mean, it just hasn't worked out. And that's fine. You know, the Nats didn't spend a lot of money on him. So it's not like a huge calamity that the Ciszek signing hasn't worked out, but it hasn't worked out. I mean, so far, this has not gone well. By the way, uh, I don't know if you saw this. Uh, I just mentioned Lane Thomas. So Mike Rizzo on Wednesday did his weekly appearance with the Sports Junkies. Did you happen to see what uh, Rizzo said about Lane Thomas? And a guy that uh, is, is definitely part of the, you know, part of the, the core group of guys that uh, will move forward and be our next championship caliber club. End quote. Now, again, Mike Rizzo, maybe he's just saying this to make people feel good about something with the Nats right now. We know that Lane Thomas hasn't had a great season, but he has certainly had a great month of June. Uh, Lane Thomas in this rain-shortened 7-0 loss at the Orioles on Wednesday night was uh, the Nats' uh, number six batter. 
He went 0 for 1 with a couple of walks. He was an at starting center fielder. But do you think, I mean, do you look at Lane Thomas as someone who definitely is a building block, who definitely is a piece moving forward? I think he could be. I don't know, though, that we can say that yet with certainty. But what do you think? Yeah, it's funny you say that because I was just thinking this very thing tonight as I was at the game. I know we usually use this term for the NBA draft and not baseball, but I just kind of feel like he's a tweener. I don't feel like he's a center fielder. I don't feel like he's good enough, certainly defensively, to hold down that position to be your franchise center fielder, but he doesn't have a big enough bat to be your left fielder, and we all know with the situation in right field. So I think he's a big leaguer. I think he's an everyday big leaguer. I just don't know where exactly he fits in, but if he does keep up this hot month that he's had... I could be convinced that he is maybe not capital F franchise center fielder, but someone that you could feel comfortable slotting in in center field on opening day 2023. Yeah, you know, we talked about Corbin, and obviously another disappointment for the Nats this year is what has happened with Victor Robles, which is that he is having a third consecutive bad offensive season, and it just feels like, as it feels like with Corbin, The conversation is no longer getting the guy back to what he was in 2019. The conversation now is this is just a new normal for the guy, you know, and that doesn't mean that you stop trying to get the guy back to where he was in 19. But when it's year three for you in terms of struggling, then I think you have to stop saying that the guy is struggling and you have to start entertaining the possibility that this is just who the guy is. And I think, you know, as we are at that point with Corbin, I think in a lot of ways we're at that point here with Robles. And so if this is now who Victor Robles is, then I don't think you're going into next season with Victor Robles as a starting outfielder for you. I think you're going into next season with Victor Robles as what he kind of sort of is right now, which is the Nats' fourth outfielder. Now, it's not like certified that that's the case, but we're seeing less and less of Victor Robles in terms of a starter. It's not a given game in, game out that he's starting. And we're seeing a lot of Lane Thomas and Yadiel Hernandez as the other two outfielders with Juan Soto lately, as opposed to Victor Robles being in the mix. And so, If you're out on Robles as a starting outfielder for you moving forward beyond this season, then I think you maybe do have to get comfortable with Lane Thomas as being one of your everyday outfielders. And I think he could be one of those guys. I think we just need to see more, you know, but he was very good as last season went on for the Nats. He's been excellent so far in this month of June. You obviously need to see more than just a good month from Thomas this season offensively, but he's talented. There's something there with him. It's not always pretty in the outfield. He's got to get better in that regard. Maybe he is just a corner outfielder, but I don't think it's bonkers what Rizzo said on Wednesday morning. I just thought that it stood out that he was that declarative about Lane Thomas moving forward. That is a surprise. I have a question for you about Robles because I'm a lifelong National League guy and I'm, I'm learning a new world with the DH and you uh, know the AL and the DH life a lot better than me. Because with DHs, there are no longer double switches and there are fewer bench players aren't used as much and there are fewer pinch hitters used. Is a guy like Victor Robles totally fine as your fourth outfielder? Someone you could plug in defensively, no problem. A guy who I know he has trouble uh, on the base pass, but someone still with speed you could use as a pinch runner and it's okay that he doesn't have a bat and you can get away with it as your fourth outfielder? Or no, even in American League Baseball, your fourth outfielder's got to have some sort of bat. I mean, it's pretty bad that he's as bad of a hitter as he has been. And especially if you get into a predicament in which one of your starting outfielders goes down for, say, a month, and Robles has to start for you for a while, that can really hurt you. What keeps Robles viable is that defense, 
where he's not just pretty good, he can be really good defensively. And there's a lot of value in that. A high-level defensive center fielder. You know, you have in baseball what Bill James came up with years ago, the defensive spectrum. And center field is high up on the defensive spectrum in terms of defensive importance in baseball. So if you have excellence defensively at center field, that is that is incredibly valuable. And so if Robles can give you that, then he's worth having on your team, I think. But if he's not playing at a high level defensively, like even if he's, maybe he's like a plus defender, but he's not a great defender, then it does become questionable because the bat really is bad. I mean, he really is an offensive liability. I mean, we've all seen it this season. There's a reason that he's constantly bunting, okay? Because the Nats don't trust him to swing away. He doesn't trust himself to swing away. And if you watch his hits, it feels like so many of his hits are these, you know, El Cheapo hits, these weak contact hits. You know, like how often does he truly square up a baseball? How often does he barrel up a baseball? It doesn't happen nearly as often as you'd like to see. And I just don't know now that we are three years removed from 2019 in which, you know, he displayed power and was a competent offensive major league player. I I just I don't know if that's coming back. You know, I, I just I think at some point you have to start to become comfortable with the possibility slash probability that this is just who he is. You know, he's another Michael A. Taylor. He's another Danny Espinosa, a guy who can be great for you defensively at a key spot, but just cannot be trusted offensively. So we'll see. I mean, the good news for him is that the Nats are not good. And so there will be more opportunity for Robles this season. But I mean, it has felt this season for him like this is kind of do or die time. Like you're either a starter moving forward or you're not. And so far, the answer is no, he isn't. You know, like this season, right? Where are we with Corbin? He's worse. Where are we with Strasburg? Still can't stay healthy. Where are we with Robles? He's still a bad offensive player. You know, where are we with Carter Keeboom? Well, he hasn't even been healthy so far this year, but I don't know that people had great optimism with him to begin with. It's one of the more unfortunate things about the Nats this year. All these guys who, if they pan out in the affirmative, can help to expedite the rebuild, have not panned out in the affirmative this year. Now, on the flip side, maybe Lane Thomas will see Luis Garcia has been good. So, you know, you do have at least a few guys in that bucket. But in that initial bucket, you you know, you have people who just so far this season are not panning out. And beyond this season, I think people have to be realistic in terms of what you have in those guys. I've been a huge fan of Robles, and I was a big apologist for him the past few years. Uh, It's getting harder and harder, and there are fewer and fewer of us on the island. I have to say. Yeah, and we talked about this on a recent installment of the podcast when Davey Martinez the other day pinch hit for Robles with A. Ray Adrianza. <laughs> you know, that's that's telling, man. That says a lot. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the Nats Chat Podcast. Hit up Tim. Let him uh, know, and uh, you can see what uh, – we can do for you. Uh, you can hit up Tim at NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. You can get yourself a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt by going to NatsChatPodcast.square.site. That's NatsChatPodcast.square.site. Don't forget to subscribe to the Nats Chat Podcast. If you don't already do that, subscribing costs you nothing and make sure that you never miss an episode of the podcast. Mark Zuckerman will be back with us for the next installment of the Nats Chat Podcast. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Tim Shovers, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. 
Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried and true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.